Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? Oh, you're doing better than that. Good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? Way to go. Well, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord, learning from the word of the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to work richly and powerfully in each one of us. And then we get to project that out into a world that so desperately needs that intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to welcome all of our campuses joining uh, today from all over this region. If you're inside or online, we are so thankful for each and every one of you. And today, I want to share the sermon time with Holly Watley. I've known, amen. I've known Holly since my very first weekend at the crossing, back when we were Payson Road Christian Church. She was there that first weekend. And she has been involved with some of the most critical ministries of this church for years. She was uh, my personal assistant. She was a critical player in the establishment of our worship teams. She used to run the finances for the whole church. Uh, when we decided to go multi-site, she was part of the launch team for our Macomb uh, campus at church location. Shout out to Macomb. And uh, while she was up there, she finished her bachelor's degree at Lincoln Christian University. And then she stepped away from our staff for a time to lead the Wellhouse ministry here in Quincy, an awesome ministry that we do and what we share in. And uh, after a time there, she went back on staff at our 929 location. Shout out to 929. And then later transitioned to manage discipleship and women's ministries here at the 48th Street campus. She also helped develop and lead our RISE conference as well. Can I get a shout out for RISE coming up? And after that, she uh, went back to, pers- uh, to school to pursue a graduate degree in counseling. And after graduation, she went to work in counseling services in Hannibal. Shout out to Hannibal. You're lucky to have her out over there. She has run a marathon. She has been commissioned uh, to uh, ministry here at the Crossing. She's championed the ministry of Rafa House Mission on our missions team. She's been a leader at Regen, and she is a close personal friend of Allison and myself, and we have a very deep respect uh, for her. The reason I want you to hear from her today is because she has professional expertise in the understanding and the treatment of depression, and she couples that with her love for Jesus and her devotion to the ministry at the crossing. So I want you to give the very best, most powerful crossing welcome to Holly Watley as she comes up on the stage. Thank you. Well, thank you, obviously, Jerry, for such a warm welcome. And thank you all so much. It's such a honor to be here. I cannot begin to tell you how much I love this church. I have been here my entire adult life. At this church, I have grown and discovered a deeper love and knowledge of Jesus. I have found love and acceptance and healing. Um, I have been challenged. I have been encouraged. I have loved my opportunity to be on staff here at the Crossing. It has literally been the honor of my life. And this transition into mental health and into therapy was something that I never expected. Like so many of you, uh, I was doing my normal quiet time one 
one morning, sitting down, reading my Bible, spending time with the Lord, listening uh, for his voice, and the Holy Spirit just impressed on my heart so deeply to go back to school. And as I began to near the end of my degree, just so many things kept lining up that it looked like I was going to be making this transition. And it's been an incredible ministry to sit in front and across from clients. It's, it's sacred space to hear people's struggles, to hear their stories, to hear their sufferings, but also to hear their wins and their joys and their successes. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity that God has given me in this season of ministry as well. Uh, my unofficial title, or how I affectionately refer to myself at my current position, is world's oldest intern. Uh, <laughs> yes, thank you for that applause. Uh, my coworkers assure me that there's no way that could be possible, but uh, no one has yet to produce an intern older than me. So uh, until that happens, I'm just going to wear that mantle proudly. So if you're a person who can't seem to quite find your career path, as you heard Jerry say, I think he listed at least 12 that I've done in my current life. Um, let's talk <laughs> because I can relate. Uh, so Jerry approached me with this idea of speaking uh, as part of this series on mental health about depression. Yay, right, fun, everyone's favorite topic. But what's interesting is I think depression is something that we are very familiar with. So anxiety, anxiety and depression are two, we've been discussing them, you know, as mental illnesses or mental health challenges that are the most commonly experienced by people. And um, even among our own church family, you know, we've been talking a lot about um, this mental health survey, and so many of you responded, and we'll talk more about that. But depression is something that is not always very well understood. We're not always sure, like, when we say depression, like, what does that even mean, right? So imagine this. So imagine you guys, there are a couple of you guys who are having a conversation. Like, say a couple of you guys are, like, standing around the grill. That's something that guys do, right? I don't know. Men? Yeah? Okay. Yes, I see a couple of nods. Thank you. Okay. So you guys are standing around the grill, and you're having a conversation with a buddy. And your friend says this. Hey, so how are things going? And you say, oh, well, you know... Um, I don't know, like, I, I've been just feeling really run down lately. Oh, really? Yeah, I've just been feeling, like, really tired. Um, I'm not really sleeping well. Uh, I have trouble falling asleep, and I have trouble staying asleep. And your friend's like, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Like, well, how's work going? And your friend says, oh, um, well, yeah, I mean, it's going good, but, you know, usually what would happen is I would get a project, and I would get my team together and start assigning tasks, and I would get my spreadsheet out, you know, but it just seems like every time I try to tackle it, it's like my brain's kind of fuzzy, and I just can't quite seem to get my ducks in a row. You're like, oh, okay, um, well, all right, how are things at home? Well, you know, like, it's been good, like, we've been busy, the kids have been busy, you know, but it just seems like I'm just always in a really bad mood. I just can't quite seem to get out of it, and so that's been really hard. Okay, well, what about that car, you know, you've been working on? How's that going? Well, I got really far, and then at a certain point, I just, like, I just didn't really feel like working on it anymore. 
And so you might say to your friend, like, hey, man, like, I actually think you might be depressed. And your friend's like, oh, no, no, like, no, I'm just in a funk. Like, I, I, I know things will get better. Work will slow down. You know, the kids are just really busy right now. Um, but what we don't always realize is that some of the things that we experience in our lives or the things that we might classify as being in a funk could actually be symptoms of depression. So symptoms of depression are these. So you might be feeling down, depressed, irritable, or hopeless. You might have a diminished pleasure in activities that you used to really enjoy. You might have a significant change in appetite. You might be really more hungry than usual, or you might not feel hungry at all or wait. You might have extreme fatigue or loss of energy. You might have a diminished ability to think clearly, evaluate, or concentrate. You may feel like a failure or like you have let yourself or others down. You might have movements that are slower than normal, or you may have movements that are more agitated than normal. You might be getting too little sleep. You're having trouble falling asleep, or you're having trouble staying asleep, or you may have the exact opposite, where all you want to do is sleep. You may also have suicidal thoughts, or start to make plans, or even attempt suicide. And again, like I said, Depression is something that affects so many people. Um, if you have these symptoms for two or more weeks, you may have what could be diagnosed as clinical depression. And it's something that affects a lot of people. We uh, asked you to participate in our mental health survey, and so many people responded to that survey. And we're so thankful and appreciative of you sharing your thoughts and experiences. And of those who responded to that survey, 50% of women who responded experience depression. And 40% of the men who responded experienced depression. So even among our own church family, there are a significant number of us who either have or are currently experiencing depression. And not only that, when we look in the pages of scripture, we can begin to see so many people who also have experienced these circumstances or these symptoms or qualities that we see with depression. And just like in real life, where I would never presume to diagnose someone based on a conversation or a journal entry, I'm not 100% certain that this is the case for these people, but we can begin to recognize some of these qualities that match some of the qualities that we are familiar with. And one of those is the psalmist in Psalm 42. So let's look at Psalm 42, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And I can only imagine what some of you might be thinking. World's shortest sermon, right? Why are you so sad? Put your hope in God. Great. Let's go get nachos, right? Uh, no. Actually, no. Uh, sorry to disappoint you. But for others of you, you may be on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. For those of you who either have or currently experience depression, you may think, great. One more message where I think, what is wrong with me? 
Why am I so sad? Why can't I put my trust in God? And so right now I want to speak to all of us at all of our locations who care for someone or love someone with depression. We've been referencing this word a lot throughout this sermon series. It's the word validation. And the word validation simply means acknowledging the thoughts, feelings, and experiences of another person. And it sounds like this. Hey, that sounds really hard. Or I can imagine that that really hurt. It's being willing to see through the lens of another person. And so often when we love someone in our life who is struggling, our intentions are so good and so well-meaning. We want them to think differently. We want them to feel differently. But in that zeal or that desire or those good intentions, we can end up using scripture not so much as an encouragement, but sometimes it can feel like almost like a weapon to the people in our lives who we love who are having those experiences. So here's what I want all of us at all of our locations to do. I want us to take a collective deep breath, okay? So let's take a deep breath in. And let's take a deep breath out. And this is the posture that I want us to enter into those conversations with. Because the people in our lives who we love so much, they are not problems to be fixed. They are people to be loved. And so often our presence, our compassion, our kindness, our prayers, our encouragement. Hey, even our funny memes that we send them throughout the course of a day. That can mean so much more to people we love who are experiencing depression than any right answer ever could. Because more often than not, there really is no right answer. So with this, we're going to shift back to our psalmist in Psalm 42. And we're going to look at what he asks in verse 5. Why is my soul so downcast? The way I often explain it to my clients is that depression can feel kind of like a soup. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, this is the kind of expert advice that I really came here for, right? Yeah, mm mm-hmm, yep. You're welcome. Okay, so the reason I say that depression can be kind of like a soup is that with a soup, some of the basic components are the same, but the exact ingredients can be different depending on each type, right? And depression can kind of be like that, where for each person, the basic components can be kind of the same, but the exact ingredients for each person can be a little different, and they can contribute to the continuation of a person's depression. Because depression is a syndrome that is comprised of mood dysregulation. It can be resulting from events. It's It's a combination of feelings and behaviors. And the combination of these things depends on the individual person. And the root of each person's depression can be different as well. This is where if you have been having these symptoms for a continued amount of time, working with a medical professional and a clinical professional can be a huge aid to you of figuring out what are the components of your exact experience and what are the tools and the resources that you need to meet you where you are, to help you along the way with your particular set of symptoms. So while we'll be talking about some of the components of depression in our time together today, 
these may not be the case for you because they may not be your particular type of soup, I guess. But what we will be doing is looking at depression through the lens of the four buckets that we've been looking through all along through this mental health series. And the first bucket is the chemical bucket or the biological bucket. So genetics can make us very vulnerable to depression. For example, if you have a family history of depression, you are much more likely to experience it yourself. Also, if you have, we call it a concurring diagnosis, like bipolar disorder, you can also be much more susceptible to developing depression. There can also be other mitigating circumstances, like a change in hormones. So, for example, after you have a baby or as you get older, that, those, those hormonal changes can precipitate depression. It can be a side effect of certain medications, and there are also even neurotransmitter changes that happen when we are depressed. So let's look at Psalm 42, verses 1 through 3. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food all day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? In Old Testament times, God's presence was focused in the temple. And the psalmist here is riding on the road. He is removed from God's presence. And he, he says, my tears say to me, where is your God? And so it can feel like that when we are in a season of depression. It's like, okay, wherever God is, I'm somewhere else. And our soul can feel so dry and we can feel so desperate. We no longer sense his presence and he could feel so distant. And this can contribute to the symptoms that we can experience. We can feel like we, like the psalmist. We can have prolonged times where we have trouble managing our emotional affect. For some of us, we do feel like exactly like the psalmist said, where literally we have no appetite and our tears are all we eat on all day long. So those can be some of the biological components of depression. Depression can also be situational, one of the other buckets we've been looking at throughout this sermon series. Let's look at Psalm 42, verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. The psalmist is looking back on a time in his life in which he was flourishing. He was worshiping God in the temple. He had purpose. He had community. He was close to God and others. And now that season is gone. And a sense of loss can often precipitate a season of depression, whether that's the death of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, even the loss of a promotion or something we perceived as the support in our life. And so often depression can be perpetuated by the failure to truly grieve these losses. We try to push away the emotional pain. We busy ourselves or try to keep our minds occupied. But grieving is simply the process of acknowledging reality. It's being willing to say, hey, I am hurting. I am in pain. 
I miss this person. I miss this season of life. Maybe you're grieving or mourning an experience of life that you never even got to experience in the first place. Mourn that loss. David Kessler, who is an expert on grieving and mourning, says it this way, grief demands a witness. For so many of us, we try to suffer or struggle alone. But we have to be willing to share with the people who love us so much. I am hurting. I am in pain. I am grieving. Depression can also be clinical. And for the most part during this series, we've been kind of skipping over this section, right? It's like, oh, the buckets and clinical and then moving on. Um, (laughs) But for this series... I'm like, hey, we're going to hang on to this for a little bit because this is kind of my jam, right? Um, And it's interesting because when I very first transitioned into full-time therapy, I got this question a lot. Well, are you going to be a Christian therapist? And I totally get the questioning or the the thought behind that question. Like, oh, are you going to be rooted in the word of God? You know, are you going to be pointing people to Jesus? Are you going to be trusting in the Holy Spirit to guide you in your counsel? Like, oh, absolutely. Yes, 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 and yes. But the interesting thing is that the more I learned about counseling theories or about how our brain and body is wired or about the things that help us grow or the things that help us when we're stuck or the things that can get us stuck, I was like, oh, wait, like the Bible says that. Oh, yep. The Bible says that too. Yep, the Bible says that too. So they didn't quite seem as opposed to one another as some people might actually think. So an interesting uh, example of that is found exactly in the scripture that we are in today. It's in Psalm 42.5. So again, the psalmist asks, why? Why is my soul so downcast? Why is my soul so disturbed within me? And what we may not realize is why is actually a superpower. The psalmist is actually teaching us a brain hack. So can you guys hang with me and nerd out with me for just like 30 seconds? Yeah? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I see. I see. Thank you. I see those nods. Okay. So in our brains is our amygdala. So our amygdala regulates our emotions. And often our amygdala can kind of get, become dysregulated. It gets triggered and triggered and triggered and triggered when we're having mood dysregulation, when we're experiencing big emotion after big emotion after big emotion after big emotion. So what happens is there's two ways that our amygdala gets triggered. And you may have heard this before. You can experience fight or flight where your amygdala gets really agitated, or you can experience a freeze or faint. Sometimes it's called where your amygdala and your body and your brain kind of like shut down. So those are kind of the two experiences that we have. Well, here's the amazing thing. When the psalmist says, why is my soul so downcast? Why is my soul so disturbed within me? The word downcast literally means in the Hebrew, like brought low. Just exactly what happens when our amygdala gets triggered sometimes. And the word disturbed literally means it's like the roaring of waves. It's like thundering and crashing. And it's exactly what happens when our amygdala gets triggered. We get agitated. So the psalmist is describing exactly what happens to us. Exactly what can be our emotional experience. 
But here's the amazing part. There's one part of our thinking brain. Normally our thinking brain has no effect on our emotional brain except for this one part, and it is the noticing part. So the more we become curious about our thoughts, the more we become curious about our emotional experiences, the more we ask, why am I feeling so angry in this moment? Why am I feeling so agitated in this moment? Why am I feeling so sad right now? It actually calms our amygdala. So it calms this emotional experience that we're having. It's actually a fancy word called metacognition. We separate ourselves from the emotional experience to notice the thoughts or emotions. And so often depression is the result of repressing our emotions or just a lack of acknowledgement of like what is going on inside of us. It may feel too scary to acknowledge it or to face what is going on inside of us. That could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's trauma from our past that feels very scary to address and that is very understandable. It could be difficult or painful emotions like fear, anxiety, or jealousy, or more often than not, shame or guilt. And we don't even want to go there. So we just yell at our kids, or we binge another episode of Netflix, or we finish off another sleeve of Girl Scout cookies, or we utilize drugs or alcohol or sex to try to regulate what is happening to us emotionally. But... The more we utilize this process of noticing, the more our amygdala becomes less reactive and it calms down this emotional experience and helps us to get to the root. You see, the psalmist was mourning a season in his life in which he was really flourishing and transitioning to a season in which he was not. Later on in Psalm 42, we read that he was oppressed that he was feeling forgotten by God. And it's very often in these times of difficulty that we can really do the hard work of getting to the root, the why. Regeneration is an incredible ministry at our church. I am a proud Regeneration graduate. I love this ministry. And Regeneration is a biblical discipleship 12-step ministry and as part of those 12 steps we do the fourth step and it can be kind of known as the dreaded fourth step if you know you know <laughs> because the fourth step is we go through the process of cultivating or conducting a fearless moral inventory we list out all of our fears. We list out all of our resentments, all of the harms done to us, all of the harms that we ourselves have done to other people. And it's all in the effort of getting to the root. What did our response value? What are we placing on the throne of our hearts other than God? Is it pride? Is it control? Is it a sense of security? Is it self-protection? Is it relationships? What is at the root of my experience? And where am I failing to put God on the throne and trust God first in my life? So as we continue on this spiritual bucket, we're going to go back to Psalm 42.5. 
Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So now we're going to focus on the very last section of this verse. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So in the Hebrew, verse 5 actually reads more closely, Praise God for the help of his presence. We as human beings are co-regulators. Any of you who are parents at any of our locations, you understand this. So imagine this with me. Your baby is crying, okay? And imagine like the heaving, sobbing, top of the lungs, just like, you know, where the face is just like beet red, everything they've got crying, okay? So you go in and you pick them up and you hold them close and you're like, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay. Well, what begins to happen, right? You feel their body begin to relax. You feel them begin to take breaths that are much more deep. You feel the shaking begin to calm. And you feel the tears begin to dry up. Because that's what happens when we co-regulate with each other. And that process continues throughout the course of our lives. We teach each other how to regulate and manage our emotions. And God's relationship with us is no different. God's presence is with us. When we have these big feelings, when these thoughts overwhelm us, God's presence is with us to calm us, to hold us. When we are struggling with our mood, our thinking, and our loss. Psalm 42, 6a says this, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. You see, when we are depressed, we have a mental filter. And that mental filter is a negative mental filter. We will think that we are failing. We will think that everything is going wrong. We will convince ourselves that there is no hope. And that is naturally, that is connected with depression. And the psalmist says, okay, I realize that this is my experience. My soul is downcast. What did we say that was? My soul is down low. My soul is depressed within me, therefore, so he's saying, I know that I am depressed. I know that I have this mental filter. Therefore, I will remember you. When we have this mental filter, we have to remember God. Ephesians 6, 17 says this. We have the full armor of God, in particular, verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the helmet of salvation protects our minds. And think about it for a minute. What is salvation? Salvation is the knowledge that we have been rescued by God. 
It is the knowledge that all of our sin and failure and mistakes have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the knowledge that there is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is the knowledge that there is absolutely nothing in heaven and on earth that could separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. So the helmet of salvation protects our minds and reminds us of who we are and whose we are. And not only that, we have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It was never meant to be used as a weapon against us. It was always meant to be used as a weapon against the enemy of our souls. Psalm 42 verses 7 and 8 says this, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. We talked about that when my soul is distressed, it feels like the roaring waves, right? Our thoughts are all over the place. Those emotions hit us like waves. But the psalmist is comparing God's love, his voice, to those same waves. Which means that when those thoughts and those feelings are so loud, God's voice and his love is louder. And that he is directing and commanding his love towards us. He is very much in the battle with us. So when the thoughts are loud, his voice is louder. And when we're awake and cannot sleep, it says, his song is with us. So what does that mean for those of us at all of our locations who are in a season of depression? It means that we will take steps of faith. And for some of us, a step of faith literally might mean getting out of bed and taking a shower. But as we take that step of faith, we know God is directing his love towards us, right? So that means that every step of the way, God is saying, I'm here, I'm here, you're doing it, you're doing it. He is directing his love towards us. And when those thoughts and those feelings get so loud, we will remember that God's voice is so much louder. And we will protect our minds with the helmet of salvation, remembering that we are loved and chosen by God, that we are covered in Christ's blood. And when we are awake in the middle of the night again and again and again, we will allow him to sing over us. And we will rest in his love for us. The psalmist says, yet I will praise him. It's a pretty powerful word, right? Especially when our symptoms are so significant, when we're feeling so tired, when those emotional waves hit us over and over and over again, when those thoughts pierce so deeply, yet, no matter what, no matter what I experience, no matter what each day brings, yet, the psalmist says, yet I will praise him. Why? Because he is with me. 
we're moving to a time of decision. I'm in, I'm in an interesting spot because uh, I, I've said to you before that I've had people come up to me and say, it's like you're reading my mail. It's like you're going through my trash or hiding in my closet. I kind of feel like that happened to me today. That uh, I, I don't know how uh, what Holly shared with you is affecting you. I have no idea, but I know how it's affecting me. And and how I look at my own life. And I can see a lot of those realities in my life. And I bet you do too. A lot of different things impacted me in what she said. Uh, one of the biggest ones was co-regulation. And uh, as a parent, I can remember the two words that we said to our kids, they had two different meanings depending upon the situation, but we said them a lot, and that was be still. Did you ever hear that from parents? Be still. You know, that's a biblical term. It's in Psalm 46 where God says, be still and know that I am God. Most of the time, though, we didn't use those two words. We had a, a noise, a sound that we would make that conveyed the same message. And the noise was this. Shh. How many of you heard that a lot? And again, it can mean two different things. In co-regulation, it can mean two different things. One, it can be hey, you need to quiet down, <laughs> right? And in, in Psalm 46, be still in the Hebrew language could be translated, stop striving, quit fighting, surrender. Some of us today, it's where we are. It's exactly where we are. And that still small voice in your heart God's speaking to you right now. And that's what be still means. That's what co-regulation looks like. For some of us, I mean, we're just torn up. And we need to feel that we've been taken up in the arms of God. Where He calms us. And He reminds us that it's okay, that it's going to be okay because you're in His arms. Maybe today is a day where you're not crying or retching or overwhelmed, but because you spend some time with the Lord today, you can feel those things calm down. Some of you today have never come into an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you're still trying to do this on your own and it's time to stop that. It's time for you to go to Him and let ha Him have control of your life. It's time to stop striving. It's time 
to quit fighting. It's time to surrender. And there's going to be someone right over there by that baptistry that would love to talk to you about that step. A courageous step, a huge step, but so powerful. So life and eternity changing. For many of us today, it's different. We have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe, you know, we're feeling hypocritical, like, why can't I, why can't I get this, get myself together? Why can't I? And that's what these steps are for today. For you to just take that step, to take a step, a courageous step. Get on your knees before the Lord and pour your heart out to Him. And feel His hands pick you up. To feel His comfort and His strength in a time of need. Today is a day to start a process of healing. It just makes sense that you would go to the great physician, to the healer. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. In Jesus' name, Heavenly Father, I pray. Would you just take advantage of this moment that we would be able to hear that voice, your spirit inside us, gently encouraging moving us to take a bold step a courageous step and that father we would be able to experience some healing I pray father that you would accomplish a great mighty thing in Jesus name Amen